a roundup of the main business news from China and elsewhere. This is Global Business. Welcome to this edition of Global Business on CGTN. I'm Guan Xing in Beijing. Coming up on the program: Central Financial Work Conference meeting in Beijing emphasizes stronger efforts for China's high-level financial sector. We wrap up the final day of the 2023 World Youth Development Forum, which concentrated on empowering youth to lead sustainable development. And a private survey shows China's services sector continued to remain in expansionary territory while factory activity contracted in October. We start in Beijing. Chinese President and General Secretary of the CPC Central Committee Xi Jinping, as well as other senior leaders, have convened a meeting to discuss the country's financial work, and they agreed to step up the efforts to improve the financial system, strengthen its supervision, and optimize financial services. During the two-day meeting, Xi Jinping outlined plans to promote high-quality financial development. Gao Yiming has more details. Senior Chinese officials agreeing preventing financial risks is crucial to the financial sector. They say the financial innovation should be market-oriented and remain compliant with laws, and the finance sector must provide high-quality services for the economic and social development. The meeting stressed the importance of deepening financial supply-side structural reforms and the need to optimize the fund supply structure. More financial resources should be leveraged to facilitate tech innovation, advanced manufacturing, and green development, as well as supporting micro, small, and medium-sized enterprises. More efforts are to be made to develop the financial sector from five fronts, including projects concerning old age and digital finance. As China continues to advance its reform and opening up, leaders also emphasized improving the opening up in the financial sector while ensuring the security of national finance and economy. They also called for facilitating cross-border investment and financing to attract more foreign-funded institutions and long-term capital. The meeting also underscored the need to boost the competitiveness and influence of Shanghai and Hong Kong as international financial centers, and more should be done to strengthen financial regulations as well as prevent and diffuse financial risks. Real estate was also on the agenda, particularly improving the supervision on real estate enterprises. China will promote the virtuous development cycle between the financial sector and the property sector, and improve the macroprudential management of real estate financing. This includes satisfying all the reasonable financing demands of real estate enterprises, regardless of types of ownership. Gao Yiming, CGTN. Meanwhile, several senior officials of the Chinese Central Bank have highlighted the specific financial policies to advance the broader financial reform. Take a look. Our focus lies in enhancing the mechanism for overseeing the fundamental money supply, ensuring a controlled and appropriate growth in total volume, and maintaining a suitable pace. The central bank will persist in strengthening its backing for the private sector, green finance, and innovative financial services, with the aim of enhancing the quality and efficiency of China's modernization. 
We aim to enhance micro control of the financial sector by implementing updated regulations for this new era. This includes elevating the scope of cross-border trade and investment. Additionally, we will deepen the institutional openness of financial markets, foster the growth of Shanghai and Hong Kong as international financial hubs, and fully utilize their roles as financial services centers. A real estate services firm CBRE has recently published a report forecasting a revival of the retail property market driven by increased consumer spending. During the third quarter of this year, the demand for retail properties was still primarily led by the food and beverage sector, comprising nearly half of the leasing activities in Shanghai. Moreover, high-end international brands continue their expansion into the city. Our correspondent Zhang Shixuan visited a new project in the city to gain more insights into foreign investment confidence. With a construction area of about 430,000 square meters, this large-scale property project in Hongqiao by Ingeka Centers Group is scheduled to open next year. It represents a total investment of more than 8 billion yuan making it the single largest investment of the European company globally. Just last month, the company held a conference in Shanghai to promote their new property and attract renters. Shanghai is such a dynamic city with uh, full of energy and innovative spirit. And Shanghai always provides a very diversified and inclusive business environment. So any great brand would love to have the presence in Shanghai. We observed a very resilient and a recovery economy. Um, we also see great potential in China market. This has been proved by our very strong recovery with all the Levat existing meeting places in China. We also grateful to see our local authorities constantly boost for um, consumption. All this to us is uh, great opportunities. Ingeka Centers now has eight existing projects in China, with a combined investment totaling 18 billion yuan. The company is currently building another retail property in Xi'an, which will also open next year. While this year has seen a reshuffle in the retail property market, Experts say there's still room for growth. There is also a lot of gentrification happening in uh, Shanghai City and in most cities because consumers have become more and more demanding regarding their environment of shopping. They no longer want to be in the old traditional box. They want to shop in an outdoor lifestyle environment. Right now, being a, a foreign investor, one of the advantages that you need to bring here will be your portfolio of brands, unique brands that you can carry. There is definitely a lot of growth still in this market, uh, especially in uh, unique um, deliveries, whether it's in the F&B, whether it's in the, the fitness, the sport, the luxury, uh, the design. Obviously right now, with Shanghai and China being a laboratory of retail, there are so many different concepts here flourishing. Zeno points out that China has developed rapidly in terms of retail. Data from CBRE shows that leasing demand for retail properties in Shanghai continued to pick up in the third quarter of the year. Around 700,000 square meters of new retail space is expected to become available during the next two quarters. Zhang Shuxuan, ICS for CGTN, Shanghai. Now for more insights on China's economic outlook and investment prospects, we're joined in the studio by Joe Nye, chairman of the McKinsey China. It's great to have you with us, Joe. So your statement that the next China is China went viral earlier this year. Now with more observation of the economy emerging from the pandemic and the evolving geoeconomic environment, what are your new thoughts? Since six months ago, when I said that next China is China, 
I'm even more convinced now that the next China is only China. <laughs> I think this year, when we look at around 5% GDP growth, roughly a third of the global growth we're in GDP, I think we're on track, right? And if you compare that with you know, around 1.5% of, of developed markets and around 4.5% of emerging markets, mm. China is still way in good and positive territory. You know, the question is why are we a little bit nervous about this, right? Because yeah. there are issues and challenges that we got to solve, right? And these are the housing we've talked about. These are some of the consumer sentiment, right, that is coming back a little bit. So I think from a, you know, long-term and growth perspective, I think we're on track. But in the short term, there's some expectations mm -hmm. that we need to get used to, which I think is causing a little bit of the short-term, you know, jitterness, right, yeah. and nervousness of people. Mm -hmm. So talking about the jitterness of foreign businesses, uh, we heard a lot of talks about uh, the reshoring, French shoring, and even de-risking. How would this um, supply chain restrictions affect foreign business confidence? How would it affect FDI inflows into the country? Well, first of all, multinationals um, had around four trillion in revenues in China in 2022. Right, that will not be replaced, and that cannot be replaced. Right, so mm -hmm. for Many, many of the multinationals, I think China remained firmly as one of the top three priorities in terms of both growth, um, supply chain, and end consumer market. That said, there are you know, many efforts right now to think about how do I diversify my supply chain, right? Mm -hmm. So as we think about some of the Southeast Asian economies, as yeah. we think about some you know, in Mexico, in, Mexico yeah. in others, I think that you see a lot of multinationals trying to think about, okay, what are alternatives? Mm. And as you know, we talked a lot about our clients, right, who are doing this. I think a few observations. One, I think that you really appreciate the strength of the China supply chain when you go to other places because you cannot replicate what's happening in China right now. It's, you know, less efficient, it's higher cost, it's just not as efficient. So I think that there's one thing where, you know, what China has right now is a real source of strength and that will remain, but there will be efforts to diversify. The second one I think is quite interesting. When you go to Mexico, when you go to Vietnam, when you go to um, you know, Indonesia, you see a lot of Chinese businesses, a lot yeah. of Chinese SME, a lot of Chinese manufacturers are actually diversifying themselves, following their end customer to go to these places, right? So I see actually some of that diversification being an enormous growth for our Chinese businesses, right, as we go globalized, which I think is something where, you know, I didn't anticipate that at the early of this year, but right now I see the lines of people going outside to you know, develop factories and manufacturing. I think that's actually very positive. Yeah, very positive indeed. And uh, I know you are also uh, an expert on finance. We know that this key conference just wrapped up. Uh, what are you thinking about China's financial industry development priorities and how that affect China's growth outlook? Yeah, look, I think the financial system is very important, right? It is really there to support the real economy and for China, it's particularly important because, you know, we have a, um, you know, a, a economy where the RMB is actually very important for us. I think two things in there. One, I think obviously right now risk management is very important, right? Yeah. In the current stage where we need to get a soft landing on the real estate, you know, mm -hmm. challenges and the real estate companies, as well as, you know, I think that right now a lot of wealth management products, mm -hmm. right, are still needing to, you know, be resolved. I think risk management is the number one priority. Mm -hmm. yeah. Having said that, I think there are two areas where I really think that the government is doing a lot, you know, to promote. One is around private enterprise. I think there's been a lot of talk about, you know, private enterprise having less confidence. I do think the financial sector 
to support the private enterprise. I think it's very important. And that's a key. And that's very, very key, right? The second one is SME. And I'm very glad that it's an important part of agenda because I do think if you look at the growth of the Chinese economy in the past 20 years, SME is a very, very core part of that. So I do think that to get back growth right in the Chinese economy, part of it is the vitality right of the SME. And I do hope that that's where the financial sector can give that little bit of a support. Well, thank you for sharing with us your thoughts on the macro economy. And we have more to talk about technology and talent. And we'll be back with you after this short break. At this year's World Youth Development Forum, green development has taken center stage, aligning with the United Nations Sustainable Development Goals. Experts emphasize that garnering youth consensus is essential to addressing global challenges. Our reporter Aaron Liu spoke to a number of participants to get their takes on how youth can leverage technology to drive sustainable development. Take a listen. It's to truly come and share experiences of what has worked and what has not worked in terms of the promotion of youth development and particularly youth employment. Having young people come together, share their experiences, but also voice their challenges and their needs is very important to echo and translate these, these ideas into action. In the context of the green economy, our focal point for this year is labeled mountain and waterhole, encapsulating the sustainable development of both nature and culture. Under this theme, we encourage young individuals to return to their hometowns and conduct a series of cultural explorations. Our company is actively developing a zero-waste factory dedicated to substantially decreasing solid waste generation across our entire production process. Our efforts are concentrated on refining bottle caps, bottlenecks, and bottle structures as a means to significantly reduce plastic consumption by approximately 15%. And now we bring Brad Jonai, chairman of McKinsey China. Thank you for staying with us. So uh, let's talk about young talent. What skills should they prioritize in today's evolving landscape? And how can nations cultivate a more adaptable workforce to the emerging of new technologies? I think in the last few years, it's very, very clear that for the next generation, they need to be very adaptive and very agile, right? Mm -hmm. Many of the jobs that are available now and in the future are not jobs that schools or teachers are teaching them. So I do think that the, the, the mindset, I think, is more important than the skill set, right? So the mindset is around lifetime learning, resilience, adaptability, right? Facing uncertainty, right? You know, stay positive. I think these are actually very, very important because, you know, they will have to learn as they grow into careers and they'll have the second, third and fourth careers which they don't know what it is right now. Mm -hmm. So I think that's actually very important and what we need to make sure is that the schools are teaching a lot of these uh, mindsets and principles and, 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 um, you know, and in some ways characters right, in our students so that they are ready for the future. So I know that you are very bullish on the generative AI, which is one of the most exciting technology trends recently. Uh, in your opinion, how do you assess China's competitiveness in this global race towards cutting-edge AI? Yeah, look, I think that generative AI right now is in this early stage, but this has a potential to fundamentally change many of the jobs and tasks and skills that we have right, as yeah. a society and as, as businesses. 
Um, I'm, I'm very bullish on it because I do think that we have been talking a lot in China about you know having not that many working population in the future, a you know shrinking yeah. you know you know uh, youth and all that. And I AI think that can help. AI can help. AI can be you know the big you know productivity tool that help us to deal with right a shrinking working population. So that's why I'm very bullish about that because I think it solves and it's very timely to solve yeah. it. That said. I think that how AI will develop is a bit scary to a lot of people right now、mm. because we have a lot of talk around AI replacing people, right? Robots, you know,、uh, taking away jobs and all that. I think that we need to think a lot more around whenever a new technology comes around, it always actually creates more jobs than it replaces. However, what we need to be very sure about is that people who get displaced can relearn. So I do think that there is a big. You know inequality in society that we got to address, but I'm very bullish around the AI overall impact on the economy and the society. That was Joe Nai, the chairman of McKinsey Greater China. Moving on to China's manufacturing activity, which unexpectedly contracted in October, the Taishi Manufacturing PMI fell by 1.1 points from September reading to 49.5 in October, and this is the first contraction for the sector since July this year. The reading was in line with the official data released on Tuesday, yet missed. Forecast of 50.8. Analysts said weak overseas demand was weighing on the sector, despite the manufacturing new orders index staying in expansion territory for the third straight month. Zhejiang Province is poised to embrace new industrialization and speed up the development of world-class advanced manufacturing clusters. The announcement was made last week during a provincial conference focused on promoting new industrialization. Take a look. The expediting of Zhejiang's new industrialization agenda was proposed, with a particular emphasis on building eight major advanced manufacturing clusters, including new energy vehicles and integrated circuits, as a core part of Zhejiang's new energy vehicle industry cluster. Nanbo's Qianwan New Area has attracted the ten car brands and more than 100 companies producing essential components for new energy vehicles. Laying the foundation for the area to advance new industrialization. We will emphasize the role of leading enterprises, strengthen platform support, promoting innovation-driven development, and focus on comprehensive integration. Always the aim of transforming Qianwan New Area into a leading domestic base for the new energy vehicle industry. On Monday, the smart automotive industry platform of the Qianwan New Area was recognized as Zhejiang's first new industry platform that meets the criteria of spanning an area of nearly 700 hectares and generating an output of over 100 billion yuan. This recognition comes after four years of dedicated cultivation. As a top-tier industry platform. It will move faster to realize new industrialization in the smart automotive industry by aggregating high-quality resources for innovation, supported and guided by government policies. Our goal is to establish an entire smart automotive industry chain that integrates research, development, design, production, auto parts making, testing, and talent development. Building advanced manufacturing clusters is pivotal in Zhejiang's strategy for advancing the new industrialization. Focusing on eight major manufacturing clusters, Zhejiang aims to establish a three-tier guarantee system at the provincial, municipal, and county levels. This system will help channel more resources to the clusters.
and a dedicated fund of 60 billion yuan has already been established to be strategically invested in sectors essential to developing these industrial clusters. The key to the development of a high-quality industrial cluster lies in the leading companies along the industrial chain, which ensure the implementation of Zhejiang's new industrialization within these clusters. Zhejiang's plan is to achieve significant progress in pursuing new industrialization by 2027. It aims to establish at least six national advanced manufacturing clusters, expecting to generate more than 12 trillion yuan in revenue from the designated 415X advanced manufacturing clusters. We will comprehensively promote new industrialization and make efforts to build a number of world-class advanced manufacturing clusters characterized by highly concentrated innovative elements, efficient network collaboration, complete industrial ecological system, and occupying the high end of the value chain. We will take on a major responsibility in constructing a manufacturing powerhouse. China has announced the establishment of new free trade zone in its western Xinjiang Uyghur Autonomous Region. Details of the plan were provided at a press conference on Wednesday by the Ministry of Commerce. Yang Chenxi reports. Free trade zones have been a tried and tested policy by China to push forward reform and opening up. Now the country has set up a new FTZ, this time in Xinjiang. The 180-square-kilometer zone consists of the Rurumqi area, the Kashgar area, and the Horgos area in the country's western region. Like the more than 20 other FTZs in China, the one in Xinjiang aims to unleash growth potentials by introducing a series of pro-business and investment policies. Xinjiang will actively undertake the transfer of advanced equipment manufacturing and labor-intensive industries from the middle and eastern regions of China, cultivate high-tech enterprises in new energy and new materials, participate in the national computing power network system, and actively integrate into the unified national market. Future reforms include digitizing government services, further liberalizing trade and investment, upgrading the manufacturing sector and providing adequate financing support. The region is striving to build itself into a logistics center along the Europe-Asia trade route. We'll rely on the advantages of Xinjiang's ports and channels, deepen our openness and cooperation westwards, and enhance interconnectivity between neighboring countries in Central Asia and major Chinese cities. This 22nd free trade zone is situated at an important crossroads region under China's Belt and Road Initiative. High expectations have been placed on it to enhance high-quality trade and investment ties with Central Asian countries. Yang Chongxi, CGTN, Beijing. Britain has convened AI company representatives, global political leaders and experts for a two-day summit addressing potential technology risks. China among the invitees is poised to play a significant role. The summit's goal is to establish a worldwide agreement for safe technology advancement. China boasts over 130 large language models from companies like Alibaba and Tencent, making up 40% of the global total, just behind the United States with a 50% share. Tech giant Apple held a unique Halloween event to introduce its latest line of personal computers. 
The product launch coincides with the entire industry's quest for increased sales, and Apple is setting its sights on China, one of its significant markets. Mark New reports. Playing up the Halloween theme, Apple called the event Scary Fast, in reference to the processing speed of its new products. Apple unveiled new 14-inch and 16-inch MacBook Pro laptops and a new iMac desktop. But the real innovation behind them are three new chips called M3, designed by Apple. The remarkable efficiency of Apple Silicon has given them incredible performance, extraordinary battery life. Apple says these are the first computers ever to use three nanometer technology, which creates transistors so tiny they can fit two million of them in the cross-section of a human hair. The chips also contain the next-generation graphics processing unit, which can better handle visually complex scenes, creating realistic environments that mimic light, shadow, and reflection. Apple repeatedly emphasized how much faster their new computers are compared to their older ones using Intel-made chips. But for those users who haven't yet upgraded from Intel, the new MacBook Pro will change the game in every way. First, it's up to a massive 11 times faster than the fastest Intel-based model. For those who are upgrading from an Intel-based iMac, you'll experience a huge difference in performance and features. We're seeing one of the most competitive environments for silicon um, really across the board, but particularly also on uh, on PCs. Obviously, Apple's been there setting you know performance bars for high performance laptops and and desktops, workstations, but also doing so at very low power. Obviously, you know you've got Intel and AMD working to get into client products, but again, Apple Apple has had them uh, beat significantly on benchmarks. Beharin says it's been a rough year for the overall PC market, which is down between 8 to 12 percent. He says with these new computers, Apple is hoping to carve out a bigger share of the high-end PC market. The event comes just two weeks after a surprise visit by CEO Tim Cook to China, one of Apple's largest markets and where the company hopes for a rebound. The sheer manufacturing that Apple does there is, is so significant that they're, again, one of China's largest manufacturing and assembly partners. So to some degree, you know, balancing act between geopolitics is, is part of that too. But Apple is just deeply intertwined into the Chinese economy, and, and that's not going to change. The last couple of months has shown that it looks like they're recovering, but it's going to be a bit of a slow roll. Apple also surprised many with something they're not known for, a price drop. The entry-level M3-driven MacBook Pro laptop is priced at $1,600, compared to its typical starting points of $2,000. Mark New, CGTN, San Francisco. And that we do with this edition of Global Business on CGTN. Thank you for being with us. Well, today's coming up next. Stay tuned. Whether it's about your education, the home you live in, or the items you buy, your money has a story to tell. Because every business story is a human story. Global Business.